Hey everyone, I'm Carl Hardwick. Welcome to this week's episode of the OPEX Podcast. This week, I sat down with muscle building expert, Ben Pakulski. In this episode, we spoke about his ascent to the Olympia, we spoke about his training methodologies, and how he utilizes mentality and mindset in his training. It was a great episode and it was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, guys, thanks. Just wanted to welcome uh, BPAC Ben Pakulski to the OPEX Fitness Podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm sure most of us in the fitness industry know who you are, man. But uh, for those that don't, can you kind of give us a little bit of background on you, your story, uh, and how you got into this whole thing? Sure, man. Um, like most people at a young age, um, looked up to a lot of guys with muscle for whatever reason. I thought it was a pretty cool thing and started training at 15 mostly for sport and uh, enjoyed it. I was a, I was a baseball player, I had some baseball scholarship opportunities. Um, so wasn't particularly big, you know, 5'10", 155 pounds, um, started training and I liked it more than anything else. So pursued it and uh, I think, you know, obsession is probably a good word to describe it. But you realize, man, like any success in anything in life, right, if, if you're not um, I mean, obsess is a word people attach to, to things that are negative, but you know, if you want to be successful about something, with anything, you know, they, you have, you have to think about it 24 hours a day, right? It can be literally anything and if, if whatever it happens to be. And if you're thinking about it 24 hours a day, you're going to make it reality. And that was me with bodybuilding is, you know, eat, sleep and train. It was, it gave me more fulfillment than anything else. And I absolutely loved it. And, and had this organic desire to learn because I knew that genetically I wasn't as blessed as some of the guys I was going against. So I had to learn everything I could. And, uh, you know, I was very blessed to have some amazing mentors, some amazing teachers. Um, so you know, truly blessed that way. Ended up getting my pro card. So I finished university, uh, decided to compete right away because I was out of shape and wanted to get in shape for a job. Ben, where'd uh, you, sorry, where'd you go to university? Uh, Western Ontario. So London, London, Ontario. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, I know those guys really well. So I, I lived in uh, Nova Scotia. So I went to St. Mary's University right, up there. Right, right. Yeah. So we we actually played you guys in in football a few times. So yeah. 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 Are you from yeah. Toronto or that area? I'm originally from Toronto. Yeah. Okay. Like Western cool. Western Western Toronto. So man, long story short, like I competed for the first time in 2005. Uh, loved it. Kind of won every show I ever entered, and then got my pro card relatively quickly. Um, and I, I you know. I believed in myself. I think a lot of people doubted me along the way. And that's a really important message for people to, to understand is like everything in your life starts with the belief, right? Yeah. If you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to accomplish it. I had a great conversation with one of my clients today about that. Just like no matter who you are out there, right? Whether the lowest level beginner or the highest level athlete, you have to believe, um, you know, you set a goal and you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you're going to achieve it. And for me, that goal was, you know, stepping on stage to Mr. Olympia, which I did twice. In 2016, I decided that it's time to walk away, and I left with my health because um, I have this new mission, right? And this new mission is to take all of these lessons I've learned along the way and um, convey it to the, the public in a way or, or the fitness community in a way that they start to understand that it's not just about the muscle, right? It's the person you become in the process. It's using the training as a means of discipline and developing character and doing it in the most healthy way possible, right? So a lot of people are so myopically focused on the goal. They're looking at the top of the mountain, right? And they can't see anything of them on top of the mountain. And they don't just, they just disregard how they get there. And it's a massive mistake because, you know, the, the muscle, as much as we love to look a certain way, is 
ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to go away like anything. So what really matters is the person you become in the process because you take that with you forever. And that's really the new message. Yeah, man, I think it's, uh, I think it's important to point out that, that point on, uh, you know, you being obsessed with it. Right. So did that obsession start with fitness, Ben, or did it start with sport and did that lead into fitness or did those things kind of happen in their very own silos? And I, I may have been somewhat obsessed with, with sports, but not nearly to the extent with, with as I was with bodybuilding. Like when I started bodybuilding, I knew right away that that's all I want to do. Right. That's all I that's all I thought about. That's all I read about. And I think everyone has the opportunity to find that one thing for them. You know, so it certainly wasn't what I would call a character trait. It wasn't something like I just get obsessed about things throughout my life. I wasn't particularly obsessed with anything as a kid. I wasn't a very, very healthy kid, right? I came from an overweight family of basically alcoholics and um, just wasn't in my life. Like nobody had really ever been in a gym. Nobody had ever really graduated high school. You know, that was kind of my, my, uh, my path, my family path as a child. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that just kind of kicked on once I started to see results. You know, I started to see results, started to get strong. And, uh, you know, get that positive feedback um, and really where it shifted for me, man, 2000, no, 1998, I went to the Mr. Olympia contest in New York City. I was 17 years old and I saw it and I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like these guys are just unbelievable. And I was so enamored by it. I just I dove right in, man. At that point, I was hooked. Yeah, I want to hit on and we'll kind of we'll hit on this in a minute, but the, the mission and the mentors and, you know, yeah. I want to I want to hit on the mission. Uh, after we kind of, you know, wrap up your, your story and, and how you got to where you're at. Um, and I know there's probably some interconnection between those and your story and the mission and your mentors. Um, but as far as, you know, uh, what, what age did you start bodybuilding? Um, and when did you realize, cause you mentioned the, the, uh, genetic thing where it's like, sure. you know, listeners hear that and they look at you and they're like, wait, what this guy's saying he wasn't genetically blessed. So kind of Walk us through when you started that process and was that an easy process for you to, let's just say, grow muscle, right? Was that an easy process? Was that a tough process? Tremendously hard. I, like I said, I was an overweight kid because I ate like crap. Um, you know, my diet as a child consisted of Pepsi and Coca-Cola and, and, you know, Doritos and such. And uh, like it, it was just it was poor all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't add muscle easily, man. Like I remember celebrating when I curled the 12 and a half pound dumbbells at 17 years old. <laughs> That's not a joke, man. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't an easy thing for me to start, um, but as I saw that progress, I think it was I think it was partially the fact that all my friends could do things and I couldn't, and it fucking pissed me off. Um, like and I was like, man, I, like I'm working harder than these guys and, and they can do it and I can't. And I'm like, why is this? And I'm gonna keep going and going and going. And then I finally realized, oh, if I work hard, I can actually surpass these people. Um, and that, really, that was kind of where it started for me. So I really started training at 15. Bodybuilding, I started, I'd say, 17 as soon as I went to that Mr. Olympia contest. And that was just a whim, man. I went home. I, I bought a – it's funny, I have a story. I, I looked at my first Flex magazine at 15, and I was like, ah, man, I don't ever want to look like that. I thought it was disgusting. Like most people, right? And, and it's a desensitization process over time. Eventually, you're like, oh, you know, I just want to put on 20 pounds. And you put on that 20 pounds, and it progresses toward another 20 pounds, another 20 pounds. You kind of never have – it's like money, right? You never have yeah. enough. And uh, so, you know, by the time I was 17, I'd say I was full-fledged into bodybuilding – most days I trained before school and after school, I started skipping football practice because I was like, man, it's just cutting into my workouts and it's going to cut into my gains. I don't want to be doing all that cardio and, you know, whether right or wrong, that was my mentality at the time um, and, and really started learning everything I could at that time. And even at 17 years old, I was uh, voracious about consuming information. Yeah. So, you know, 
you started bodybuilding at 17. Um, you went to uh, Mr. Olympia in 90, what was that, 98, you said? I went 98, it was in New York City, yeah. Uh, what year was it that you, uh, were you runner-up, Mr. Olympia? No, I was running up at the Arnold, man. I, okay. I just, yeah, so I competed in Olympia 2012 and 2016. Okay. So, yeah, it was 14 years after. Yeah, so I know this is this could get extremely extensive, man. But uh, walk me through from you know that that first curl at 12 and a half pounds to to competing at Mr. Olympia to where you're at now, and kind of kind of wrap that story up of kind of your fitness journey. And and yeah. uh, I want to dig into like your mission, but. I just want the listeners to kind of understand where you're coming from before we move to, you know, what sure, we're doing yeah. now. Absolutely, man. So you know, at that young age, it was really about performance for sport when I started at 15 and I noticed myself getting faster and stronger and I loved it and became hooked. And I started at the YMCA, like many kids, I started kind of the local, whatever's kind of close. Uh, and I moved to this hardcore uh, training gym in the city. I grew up in Toronto. So um, it was called Max Gym. And I, this old dude, who was probably in his 60s, kind of started mentoring me and teaching me a little bit about lifting and taught me how to squat, taught me how to deadlift and, and really taught me the importance of uh, building a strong foundation. So you'd find me in a gym probably three times a week squatting, three times a week deadlifting type of thing, like really, really often and, and really uh, aggressively pursuing those lifts. So really getting really strong in squat, getting really strong in the deadlift before I really ever did anything else, man. Like I remember deadlifting, 405 for sets of 12 to 15 before I'd ever bench press the plate, right? Before I could bench press 135. Same with squatting and probably squatted for uh, 405 before I ever bench press the plate um, because I was so voracious about those things and so neurotic. And uh, so pursued that for a few years, um, started getting bigger, never would really be thought about competing. Went to university at Western and Training kind of went on the back burner, man. Like I still trained three to four times a week. It was very, very strong at the time. I mean, by 21, I was deadlifting 750 for reps, uh, squatting 700 for a few reps. So I was a strong kid. And, uh, you know, by the time I was done university, I was 280. It wasn't the best 280. So I, I decided to, that I got a pharmaceutical sales job and I wanted to get in shape. So I ended up uh, dieting for four months. Didn't in my first contest, ended up weighing 237. Um, and won that contest, won another contest six weeks later, and now I'm qualified for the provincials, which is kind of the step before nationals. Uh, won that show, uh, went to nationals that year, got second, and by that point, people started paying me to work out, man, so I gave up my job and started pursuing bodybuilding, and, uh, you know, once I won the Canadian, but even before I won the Canadian nationals, man, I was very confident in my ability to step on stage and, and beat anybody. Uh, I knew I had a long way to go. I knew I had a lot of muscle that I need to add, but I never doubted my ability to do it because I knew I was willing to do whatever it took. And, and I truthfully believed and probably like still, I mean, it sounds maybe silly, but I still believe to this day, if I hadn't retired, I would have continued to pursue being Mr. Olympia. And I would have been Mr. Olympia because I wouldn't have stopped. Um, like I, I would have done anything in the world to become Mr. Olympia. And the reason I stopped was because um, in 2012, uh, I was blessed with a son. And uh, 2013, I was blessed with a daughter. And uh, I just couldn't be selfish anymore, man. I realized there's more things in this world than just pursuing this, um, you know, selfish goal, like egocentric goal. Um, and it just changed the person I am. So I decided to wrap up my career with doing five shows in 2016. I'm super blessed for the people I've met and the opportunities I've had. I've been able to travel the world, meet hundreds of people, thousands of people. And uh, along the way there, learning a little bit and uh, starting a business, just basically 
teaching people intelligent muscle building strategies, right? Like I made a lot of mistakes, taken a lot of courses, learned from a lot of people much smarter than me. Uh, and the thing that I had that, that maybe most other educators don't have is I pushed my body and my mind harder than anybody else that I've met, right? And like even in bodybuilding, I would intentionally go out and seek the guys who are working it the hardest and, and uh, I would train with them. I'd be like, hey man, like if you're the hardest working guy, I wanna train with you because I'm going to fucking bury you. Yeah. And I wouldn't stop until I did, right? And that was, you know, maybe one thing that I took as a badge of honor. I just wouldn't stop. And, um, you know, that allowed me to push my body and my mind further than most people ever will. And that's why I feel like it's it's made me a great teacher because my standard for most people is much higher than it is for themselves. Yeah, so who were who was guiding you along that path, man? So you, you're you at Western. You're, you're fairly yeah. strong, training a couple times a week. Who, was there a, were you coaching yourself? Were you programming for yourself? Was there, were those, did those mentors come into your life early or was that when you're already at a higher level? Man, that's a great question. So I had one mentor who was, um, you know, kind of like a father figure to me when I was very young and he ended up passing away and uh, he ended up passing away from what I would say is probably bodybuilding related stuff. You know, uh, his, his body weight was high, his health wasn't great, didn't sleep really well. I think he had a heart attack, uh, really impacted me. So I started looking for another um, mentor in the sport just as I went into university, so 19 years old. And I really couldn't find one, man. So what I was looking for was someone who took a really educated approach to this whole process and um, you know, was really good at training, understood the nutrition, understood the supplementation. Um, and I really couldn't find anybody. You know, the closest guy I could find that I, I thought would be a mentor was Milo Sarchev. And he's still a great friend of mine to this day. And he didn't coach me. He didn't know idea who I was, but I kind of pursued him from the outside or just followed him from the outside and thought he was certainly one of the smartest guys. Charles Polkman's a guy that I latched on really early. Uh, Dorian Yates was a guy who I thought was way beyond his time. And those were kind of my mentors from a distance. And up close, I was very blessed to have um, this one guy who kind of changed it all for me, man. In 2000, uh, 2009, I think I met him. It was 2009. Um, his name is Peter Chason, again, another guy unfortunately passed away, um, but he really changed it all for me, man. It opened my eyes to um, just this reality that exercise isn't about weight. Exercise is about challenging a muscle, right? It's not about what happens outside the body, it's what happens inside the body. And that kind of sums up in the simplest way what he did for me. And I've had other amazing mentors along the way. Like he led me to these other mentors. And I think I feel like he was an angel sent to me to, to really save my life, man, because I probably would end up killing myself, not literally, but hurting my, my longevity because of how obsessed I was with bodybuilding. Yeah, I think that's a good segue, man, into where you're at now. Right. Yeah. So you competed, you competed at the highest level in the sport and uh you know from from what i see with with what you're putting out you're moving more toward a longevity health and longevity sure. aspect and and that's the message that you're putting out um at least from my view uh what are your thoughts there as as far as uh the direction that you're moving from uh the, the muscle building guy to this uh health and longevity guy sure, man. the reality is most people out there are building muscle in spite of themselves they're doing everything wrong and, and finding a way to accidentally build muscle you know and people are making the excuses they don't have the genetics or they don't have the time or the money or whatever it is it's all bullshit you just don't know what you're doing or if you're, if you're doing something you're doing it all wrong right and that's that's just the reality and even bodybuilding and they're so uh blind to like oh i'm just doing what everybody else used to do in the 80s and 90s and like if you said that in any other sport, people would laugh at you, but in bodybuilding, it's a badge of honor to, to train like the guys in the old school, right? Like 
Science didn't exist back then. Research didn't exist back then. Yet everyone still decides to train like they did back there. It makes no sense at all. Um, so, you know, I've just kind of seen all the mistakes I've made along the way and was blessed to leave with my health and, and my joints and, um, you know, feel great. And now I, re I feel this opportunity in my hands to, like, pass on this information to young aspiring fitness athletes. And, you know, I really have this mission now to uh, empower young fitness enthusiasts and that could be anywhere from you know 12 years old to, to 25 years old with the knowledge and skill set to build the body of your dreams man because you realize that um, you can't right and no matter what the story is that you tell yourself as to why you can't it's not true right yeah like very few people i mean who knows if my how my genetics compare against other people and it doesn't really matter but very few people that i've met can't build muscle right there, there may be a few people who have certain diseases or ailments or whatever injuries that's one thing, but if you have a healthy functioning body and you can move, like you can build the body of your dreams, right? It may not be Mr. Olympia, but it can be the best version of yourself. I think if you start to empower, you know, kids right around the teenage years, preteen through teens, with the knowledge and skill set to build their greatest body, I think you change the world, man. My belief is, well, you get rid of some insecurity, maybe you get rid of some bullying, maybe you get rid of some eating disorders. Um, you know, maybe they start to care about the world a little bit more, man, because like, if I care about my inside of my body, I'm going to start to pay attention to the outside of my body, right? Because if I know if I have to drink that water coming from the tap, I may be less likely to throw my trash in the lake, right? I know if I have to eat that food coming from, from the dirt, I may be less likely to, to, you know, not take care of it or dump something in the road. And I think that's, you know, this, my belief is this is the catalyst for really shifting the world. So, I've seen this opportunity in front of me as uh, you know, someone who has a platform and maybe has an ability to articulate it. And uh, I just feel it's almost my, my duty now to take it to this population of fitness enthusiasts who uh, love fitness, they love health, and they want to thrive, man. You want to live a great life, a long life in a world that's beautiful. And um, if we don't screw it up first, like we can do that, you know, in many generations to come. Yeah. So what is, you know, in that definition of health and longevity, what does that, what does that mean to you? Right. Cause when I, when I think of health and longevity, I think, uh, you know, and how it relates to fitness, of course, um, I'm, I'm with you on like all of the benefits that, you know, doing fitness and building muscle and building the body that you, that you want, right. Um, how that can, you know, make someone more emotionally stable, healthy, confident, whatever it is. But when we start talking about, you know, physiologically, uh, what, what does, or the physiological aspect, what does, what does health and longevity mean to you? Sure. Um, you know, I kind of explore that question often, right? And if you look at people who are elderly, the first thing they start to do is they lose their ability to move. Well, I guess maybe first they lose strength and then that correlates with the inability to move, right? So people say movement is life and, and I argue, I say strength is life, right? Because, you know, being able to move is one thing, but being able to move, uh, with, you know, confidence and be able to move through large ranges of motion is, is dependent on strength. It's contingent on strength, you know, so this ability to maintain strength and muscle over time, I think is a massive, massive asset to cellular health, to insulin sensitivity, to decreasing inflammation. And for me, like that's health, right? It's not just say, I want to live to be a hundred. It's like, no, I want to thrive, man. I want to be running and jumping and, and, and lifting and, you know, having sex and, and uh, you know, all, all these amazing things that, kind of is kind of the opportunity that's given to us in this life what I'm until the day that I die and if I can't why the hell am I here so there's so many things that need to go into the optimization of the human system right and it's it's not just like hey I want to exist or I want to live 
forget that, man. I want to thrive, right? I want to be a high achiever. I want to thrive. I want, I want to be someone who you know, literally can do all of the things that I could when I was 15 until I'm 95 or and beyond, right? So what does that look like? And that looks like a diverse approach to fitness. That looks like challenging my muscles on a consistent basis and making sure my, my, my body is challenged. That means challenging my mind. So my mind is always expanding and growing and never, never contracting. You know, this means using discipline on a day-to-day basis so that I can, you know, allow my mind and my body to integrate and thrive together. Now that to me is, is ultimately what uh, longevity looks like over the long term. Yeah. And how do you get there with a client, man? So, um, you know, something that we like to do here at OPEX and, and, you know, what we like to teach our coaches is to reverse engineer, right? So if I'm in a consultation with a client and, uh, you know, this client's goal is to, you know, walk up a mountain when they're 90 years old, it's like in my head, I'm, I'm taking that goal and I'm reverse engineering that, like, let's say this, this guy is 40 years old. Uh, everything that we do in, in, in life and fitness and nutrition, that's all aimed to, his goal, right? Which is yeah. when he's 90 years old, he wants to walk up a mountain. So, you know, we can use that as kind of like a, a check, right? A check for ourselves in, yeah. inside of the the design where it's like, why am I doing A, B, and C? Is that actually leading to this guy's goal of walking up a mountain when they're 90? Because right. we can get caught in the in the uh, nuances of, of program design and, you know, entertaining our clients and so on and so forth. And we're, we're actually not moving them any closer to their goal. So um, I do want to get into your principles. And there is a question that's coming off of that. I want to get into your principles, but how would you approach that? Like you have a client that comes in and wait, well, first, let me ask this. Do you still train clients one-to-one? Yeah, I don't as much as I, as I used to. Um, I still have a few hand, a handful of clients that I kind of get with on a, on a semi-consistent basis. I do train some people online and it's more like a, more like a high level mentorship where I do pay attention to their health and it, it's more like problem solving. So, you know, it would be a lot of high level coaches, a lot of high level entrepreneurs. So I don't necessarily write programs and diets anymore. So I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the tactics. I'm more doing the, the theory. Um, so my man, the, the way I frame what you just said is there's two things that I think everyone ultimately wants in longevity is they want a brilliant mind and resilient body. And the way I define resilience is I want to be able to access every range of motion that my body should be able to access. And I want to be able to to resist and generate force there. Right. So brilliant mind, resilient body. So resilient body, like I need to be able to get into all those ranges necessary to do all those things that I want to do over the next 50 to hundred years. So if you need to be able to, to climb a mountain, okay, well let's, reverse engineer that and dissecting okay what are all these positions i need to be in how do i how do i maintain strength and stability in those positions right so strength and stability are obviously correlated extremely highly without without stability you don't get strength um so how do we then um just like say okay here's the things you want to do let's make sure your body can do all these things and for most people to be honest i just approach it from a perspective is i want to take every one of the joints in your body through its entire active range of motion under load within a certain time frame. It doesn't have to be a day, it could be every couple of days. But like I want to apply resistance to these places where they're weak. Right. So as a bodybuilder, all the a lot of people are myopically focused on completing this exercise. I got to move this weight from point A to point B, but it doesn't consider so that that's what I call an exercise centric view. But it doesn't consider a muscle centric view, right? So exercise from a muscle's perspective. So is this muscle going through its entire length and shortened cycle? And if it's not, some part of that range is probably being neglected and probably isn't being challenged so thereby what's going to happen is you get these strength gradients so the middle of the range gets strong the extremes of the range gets weak your body can't produce force there so it gets shorter it tightens up and then thereby injuries start to happen right like i can't access that range so but yet i try to go there sometimes 
and my body starts to break, it starts to ache, it starts to become inflamed. So really looking at all the natural ranges of the muscle and challenging it to a person's maximum momentary ability, right? So, and that could change day to day, week to week, and, and that changes at different parts of the range. Like some, you're certainly stronger in certain parts and weaker in other parts. And, you know, as a trainer, you have to look at all those things, man. You have to look at like, what is this person capable of right now? Forget about what your standards are for yourself or for another client. What is this person capable of in this exact moment? And how do I apply a progressive challenge to that, right? Micro incremental challenges. Yeah, so so what I heard there is, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm every, everything you say, I'm just seeing like the the nuances and and the the connections between between OPEX and and what you guys are doing, um, and it's you know what I gathered from that is you know we teach our coaches all the time, right? With your clients, they have to understand how to execute a contraction before we can build on top of that, right? So um, you know. You, we're, we're known in this space as, you know, the more, uh, the more functional, um, the, the way that we deliver training programs and coach our coaches, we're more in that functional fitness arena. Um, but you know, bodybuilding is our base, right. And, uh, contraction. Cause when I, when I say bodybuilding, right. I know, um, you know, the market sure. thinks of separate things, uh, in our language, it's just like, Hey, you're doing really good contractions over a long period of time mm -hmm. to build a pay, to build a base, to do the next thing. Sometimes that next thing is is nothing, right? It's just like I'm I'm just going to continually, you know, go through full ranges of motions and uh, you know build really good contra contractions over time. Or sometimes when we're working with an athlete, it's like you know I want to compete at the highest level of whatever this thing is, whether that's a CrossFit Games athlete or whoever who, whoever that is. It's like right. bodybuilding is still that base and, be and really good contractions, right? Yeah, and uh, even as a CrossFitter, man, if you can't access a range of motion. By definition, it's it's because of weakness, right? So let, now the first thing you have to do is become stronger there and improve the, your your body's ability to get there. But you know, so you're looking at improving contractile ability of the muscle and also the nervous system. So I mean, by definition, everyone should have some objective of, of being a bodybuilder, right? In, in variable degrees, obviously, mine was just extreme. Yeah. So what uh what are your thoughts, man, on on the fitness industry as a whole? Not just not just bodybuilding and that arena, but you know, sports specific training, uh, you know, functional fitness, um, you know, mom and pop going to the, to the gym and just lifting weights, kind of orange theory, that stuff. Like, what are your thoughts on, on the industry and, and where it's going? Well, I, I think anything at any moment in time has an, op an opportunity to go in any direction, right? And in the fitness industry right now, I feel as, oh, like I said, anything can go in any direction. And if we get the right group of people with the right messaging and the right intent, we can shift it in any direction we choose. So that's why I'm so grateful to connect with people like yourself, because if we have if we have a strong message to empower people with you know the knowledge and the skill set, like I say, and, and the real integrated part that I think is an, an important piece, which we haven't touched on, is using fitness, using exercise, using muscle building, whatever your endeavor, if it's running and CrossFit and swimming and bodybuilding, whatever it is, using it as an opportunity to be present, using it as an opportunity to become more mindful, to connect with your body. If we can get that message across, the fitness industry is on a very rapid upswing, right? And if we can't, and if people keep doing this mindless, disconnecting style training, I think the fitness industry will be on a downswing, right? So if people like yourself keep spreading the message of, you know, intelligent training and taking a, a mindful approach to this stuff, the world will shift, right? I really believe it because 
there's very few opportunities in life to really uh, become more disciplined, to really connect with your body, to really become present in the moment as much as in training, right? Like you have to be present, otherwise you can't do things correctly. And I think if we spread that message across the world on a day-to-day -day basis, the world will shift toward being more mindful, being more present, being more healthy, caring more about themselves, caring more about each other. You know, that's ultimately the chain reaction I see happening. So, you know, I, I never try to judge because ultimately it doesn't matter what the current state is. All that matters is I'm doing everything I can every day to move it in the direction that I, that I believe it should go. Yeah, what kind of impact do you want to have? And I just have this this unconscious feeling or belief, maybe, that, uh, you know, I, I, in 2010, started to create a shift toward intelligent muscle building in my niche. You know, I said my, my goal in 2010 was I want to be the catalyst for intelligent muscle building around the world. And, uh, you know, we've, we've touched millions and millions and millions of people with this muscle intelligence way and the intelligent approach to muscle building. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm totally humbled by the number of people that reach out and the number of people that I get to meet when I travel the world. Uh, and now it's like, okay, we, you know, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't the catalyst, but my belief is that we are certainly a part of, of the catalyst to change. And now my belief or my mission is to empower every single person in this world with the knowledge and skills that you can change your body and you can love your body. And that may not happen in my lifetime, right? That may be a multiple lifetime goal, but uh, at very least I'm going to do everything in my lifetime to empower my generation so that they can then empower their sons and daughters and, and family with that information, man. So it went from being this goal of I want to touch a million people to now being this goal of I want to touch a billion people, right? And I want to just, man, if I can just let people know that you can, that belief in yourself, and forget about all those bullshit reasons why you can't, you know, the rules, bullshit rules, um, you can absolutely change yourself and you can change the world, man. And I think we're in this beautiful place, this beautiful um, position to be the catalyst for the shift in the entire fitness industry, right? I don't know how old you are, but when I started in the fitness industry, there's very few people taking what I would consider, if any, taking what I would consider an intelligent approach. And that's not a shot, a knock on anybody, right? That was like, so everyone just did what they were taught or what they thought was correct, right? Everyone read their own encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding and said, hey, this is the way you do it. And Right, it's probably true at some level, and uh, that's that's how I started, man. I was uh, 12 years old, going to the the YMCA, or sorry, yeah, yeah I was the YMCA, um, and just opening that thing and just rolling. Didn't know what the right. fuck I was doing, but I was uh, I was contracting muscle and I was getting bigger, and I was like, fuck, this this is working. Right you know? now, so so the crazy thing is, you're looking at this one guy, maybe two guys in that in that book, and going, well, this is the way it's supposed to be done, and then you could work as hard as you want you could work way harder than me and put on no muscle and i could work mediocrely hard and put on more muscle and it has nothing to do with my genetic ability to put to put on muscle being greater than yours it has to do with maybe the exercises that i chose fit my body more effectively so we could do the exact same exercise and i could build big pecs and you could get really sore shoulders so now your unconscious belief comes well i can't build muscle in my pecs I get sore shoulders. That becomes your belief system. Whereas I'm doing it, and because my structure is different than yours, my, my pecs get huge, and it builds that momentum and that dopamine over time that says, hey, you can do this, right? And that's literally as simple as it comes down to. So if someone at 13 to 15 years old said, hey, here's the playbook for your body, right? Here's the rule book on how to do this for your body. Here's how to look at it for you. Go do it. You do, you do it for a short amount of time, and all of a sudden you're like, bang, holy shit, I can do this a lot better than I thought. 
I'm actually going to pursue this a little bit more. And, and the scope to which you pursue it is completely irrelevant, but you're going to feel empowered to go, whether or not I choose to do it right now, I know that I can. That's a powerful place to come with the world. Yeah, we see that a lot in 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 uh, in sport and and just in you know people that want to get better and, and get fitter and grow some muscle and get leaner. It's you know people aren't looking at what is the minimum effective dose for me to actually get results long term. They're almost looking at it from the other side, where it's like, how much can I do mm-hmm. instead of how oh, little? Like maximum how little recoverable can I volume, do. right? <laughs> which which is like let's look at it yeah let's look at it from the other side where it's like hey let's actually use minimal right and now how much longer can we spread this thing out or stretch this thing out because if we're always looking at what's the maximum amount of work that i can do to see results it's like you know that that ascent is a lot shorter right because we can't just add volume and add volume over years and years and years at some point it's just going to end we're going to get hurt die or we're just not going to we're going to stop adapting right um so we see that a lot in in the way that sorry go ahead ben there's a deeper level to that right so when you explain it to someone they're like well i just want to work hard and you're like okay i get that there's certainly a place in in everything we do to work hard but looking at it from you know objectively i guess the harder you train the more stress you have to subject your body to to elicit a change the more internal inflammation and cortisol and adrenaline that's being generated, right? Now your body has to cope with that before it can ever even think about building muscle. So if you look at the balance between the autonomic nervous system, right? So we have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So when you're training that hard and you're creating, like I say, this cortisol response and this inflammation response and this, this adrenaline, all this you're being generated in your body, the higher the stress that's being generated, the longer it takes for your body to recover from that. So you know, people don't think about that. When you're adding the stress of exercise on top of all these other stresses that exist in life, it's literally causing a near impossible scenario for your body to build muscle. So you get people who come in and go, I can't build muscle, I get fat. Well, you're probably just not doing things correctly. So how about we try a minimum effective dose, not, the ma- not maximum effective dose, and combine that with some hopefully stress management strategies outside of the gym. And all of a sudden your progress starts to come really fast. And all of a sudden your body fat's falling off and you're just like, oh, I wonder why this is happening. Like, Okay, well, this is what, right? Stress management, managing the autonomic nervous system, measuring things like heart rate variability, seeing what your recoverability is like, and how much training volume should you subject your body to, right? If your heart HRV is high, hammer it. If your HRV is low, then you gotta you gotta chill out and do less volume, right? Adjust it according to how your body feels and this beautiful new opportunity we have with our heart rate variability. Uh, what off question, just because you mentioned that, what are you what are you using to track HRV? Like the same thing you are if that's an aura ring on your finger it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's aura yes i'm a huge fan man and i like the idea of 24 hrv because so so when people talk about hrv sometimes you know it, in the past it's been suggested that when you wake up in the morning because you're wearing a heart that people say wake up in the morning put on your heart rate strap and check your heart rate variability and you do it for three minutes and you can say hey well this is my heart rate variability right now that's useful more useful than nothing but what's even more useful is be able to check it in real time because i can definitively change my heart rate variability you know in almost an instant by learning to manipulate certain variables right so breathing right if you can learn to manipulate your breathing cycles inhalation exhalation cycles in in a particular way you can absolutely improve your body's recoverability instantly right so something as simple as that like anything that's this parasympathetic activation so it can be anything from breathing, walking, meditating, uh, yoga. You know, all these things are very, very parasympathetic activities, which will then improve your body's heart rate variability and improve your body's ability to 
recover and uh, you know ultimately digest and, and, and rest. Yeah, so uh, at OPEX, man, so what the, the way that we, you know, because you're you talked about your mission, our mission here is to empower the coach, right? So empower empowering the coach in our eyes is uh, it's it's related to how a coach is delivering fitness. Sure. So the only way that we deliver fitness is a one to one personalized fitness model where everyone's uh, designed their individual training program based off of, you know, various things such as, you know, stress and you're, you're mentioning stress management and, you know, we're talking about uh, muscle building and it's like, ah, but the program's not working. But it's like, okay, let's ha- let's actually have an opportunity to have a conversation with our client outside of the gym, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in this consultation room where we're talking about other variables such as, you know, nutrition, life, work, relationships, um, you know, how much water are you drinking on a daily sure. basis? Are you chewing your food uh, yeah. and digesting properly? Little things like that that a lot of, uh, you know, higher level coaches aren't aren't even taking into consideration because we're so attached to the training program and the Man, I always say when, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? When you're a nutritionist, the number one most important thing is nutrition. And, and like, you know, when you're a strength getting, training coach, the number one most important thing is the, is the program. And the reality is it's, it's none of those are reality, right? Like there, it's all of the, the above. Like everything has to play in depending on who you are, what, where you are in your life and what is kind of the biggest bottleneck for you, right? I always approach it like, you know, I have my six pillars of elite and healthy muscular physique and you go, okay, well, which one is the thing that's holding you back right now? Right. And if it's always going to be one of these things. And so, okay, well, which one is it? Let's address that first. For most people, it's stress and sleep, right? You address their stress and sleep, their body changes immediately. Their performance goes up. Their cognitive performance goes up, right? Like instantly. And then after that, only then and, and then do you, do you address nutrition? Do you address training? You know, like it doesn't make sense for me to go after someone's training when something else is the thing holding them back. Yep, Definitely. When, I know you're not training a bunch of people right now, Ben, but when you were coaching and training people, um, what was uh, what would that look like? So let's say, you know, I came into your gym, I'm um, like, hey, man, I want to work with you one to one. Kind of walk me through your approach. And uh, sure. you know, uh, I, I just want to gather some of your beliefs in the way that you approach and the way that you actually coach in the gym client. tactically or like just overall when you no, came no, in. Like no, just overall. Let's call it. Yeah, let's 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 say not, you know, a PT session specifically more of like mm-hmm. I want you to coach me. I want yeah. you to coach. I have this goal. And, and what does that look like if I'm if I'm uh, hiring you as my coach? Sure. A lot of times it's just an organic conversation and I'm looking for speech patterns. I'm, I'm going to ask questions about your day-to-day habits, your sleep routines, your sleep rituals, um, you know, what your nutrition looks like and what's the story you're telling yourself and you're telling me ultimately, right? And looking looking deeper into the speech patterns to see like, okay, well, uh, sometimes I can't do this and I have a hard time with this. And, you know, people are often going to tell you all the biggest problems just as soon as they open their mouth. Like, and it's all about the words that they're using because it's about their belief systems. So I'm looking at, and I'm often going to start calling people. That's the first thing I do is, you know, if you're working with me in my mentorship, like the first thing we do is we'll spend nine minutes on the phone. And every time you say something that's a victim word or a victim response phrase, I'm going to call you on it and be like, hey, man, you know, did you hear what you said there? I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. We'll fix it. Right. So I'm just starting to like create that habit of consciousness around your words to start changing your belief patterns. It's so important. And then from there, it's objectively looking at, okay, well, how can we objectify stress? You know, can we look at things like HRV? And if we can, well, we're going to do that. We're going to, you know, every one of my clients is an order ring. Uh, can we, can we objectify sleep, right? Again, with the order ring, like, are you getting enough sleep? Why not? How do we fix that? Can we, can we objectify, you know, nutrition and digestion, right? Are you, is your, is there an issue there? And usually when you remove stress, 
everyone's digestion seems to improve. So I know everyone's going down this path of like, oh, it's got to be the microbiome because that's the kind of the root of everything. But the reason most people's digestion is messed up is because they're, they're chronically stressed and they're shoveling food into a stressed digestive tract and the digestive tract doesn't absorb food when you're stressed, right? You're in this parasympathetic, or sorry, you're in the sympathetic place. Your body is in, in, is in fight or flight. It's not in rest and digest. And yet you're, you're hammering food into your mouth. It sits in your stomach, often putrefies. On top of that, the quality of our food is very, very poor, obviously loaded with glyphosate and things that are going to cause uh, issues with the tight junctions of the gut. So again, all those things are kind of the next step down the line, right? And so it's, it's you know, giving you the six pillars, man. It's going to be mindset. It's going to be often top of the pillar or top of the totem pole. Then you're looking at stress management and heart rate variability. So the autonomic nervous system, you're looking at sleep. You know, then we look at nutrition. We look at training. We look at your environment because the way our body interacts with your environment and things like light and EMF and sound and water, uh, all these things are so important to optimization. And, you know, I, I hate to say that anyone is ever at the top versus at the bottom because it can be completely different for everybody depending on what you're subjecting your body to. Um, but that's really the approach. And, and uh, it's it's hard to give you a kind of a cookie cutter approach, but it's always within the six pillars. And um, like I said, the most general thing you're going to find issues with, everyone has mindset stuff. Like everyone's got some ways we can improve with their mindset. And I've kind of got my tactics to go after that. And then from there, we're going after stress, because often if you can fix stress, sleep will often help it correct itself. Um, and, you know, then after that, we're going after sleep. If sleep still doesn't correct itself, sometimes the environment is the thing affecting your sleep, right? If you're getting too much blue light, you're getting too much EMF, too much pollution, your body's not going to sleep. So whether you address that and training and nutrition are, you know, the, the big um, levers, I guess, that we can pull that everyone's after. But those other four things are the ones that nobody's paying attention to that are often the very thing holding you back. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your approach on nutrition? Like, do you have a, do you have a, you know, particular methodology or is it, you know, you know, you know, you could kick me in the nuts if I said I had a particular methodology, it would be (laughs) stupid of me to say yes. Right. Like, no, obviously. Right. And and I think anyone who does is, is making a mistake. And I think the only intelligent approach is to look at it from a perspective of what, does my body need now to fuel optimal uh, high-level performance? And what can my body sustain now, right? So when I say sustain, it's like, okay, depending on the seasons of the year, depending on the amount of light exposure you're getting, can actually massively impact your body's ability to use certain nutrients or its need for certain nutrients. So we have to adjust to that, right? Summer versus winter can be very different nutritionally. Uh, if you're, in, you're in, a, in a phase of, of high amounts of endurance versus high amount of glycolytic versus you know high amount of anaerobic stuff like all these different things require different nutritional status if i'm doing a phase that's very strength oriented very compared to very hypertrophy oriented they all need variations in nutrition the variations may not be massive right it may not be huge swings but it's certainly a variation if we're if we're speaking from a perspective of optimal yeah just 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 inside of that and i mean obviously i agree wholeheartedly and that individual approach to not only training and and, you know, coaching someone in, you know, lifestyle and behaviors, uh, but even in nutrition. Um, but just going a, a level deeper, it's, you know, just two things that you mentioned, just the hyper versus strength. What are some principles that you stand behind nutritionally? Like, let's say you know, all things being equal, if there's a such thing as that. Um, and, you know, yeah. what's the difference between my hypertrophy phase versus my strength phase nutritionally? Sure. sure. So hypertrophy typically is going to be something that's a little more volume centric. So we're going to be a little more uh, focused on creating more overall work. 
we're also going to probably be creating more overall muscle damage. So those two things tell me right away, I probably need more protein because I'm creating more muscle damage and I might need more carbohydrate because I'm doing more volume. So I'm tending to deplete my muscles a little bit more. Whereas strength training program is only really going to be fatiguing in most instances to the nervous system, depending on where you are in the phase, right? It's either going to be nervous system and some muscular system. So we need to support the nervous system. So the ways to support the nervous system are with parasympathetic activities and potentially with increased nutrient intake, right? You can look at maybe it needs some fat to decrease the inflammation. Maybe it needs some, some a little bit of carbohydrate to replenish ATP. Uh, but just looking at it from those perspectives. So what system am I stressing and how do I support that system? So if I'm doing a highly metabolic workout for hypertrophy, meaning I'm doing a dense workout, lots of work in that phase, I'm burning through a lot of glycogen, probably not breaking down a tremendous amount of muscle. So my, my need for carbohydrate goes up, but my need for protein may not be as high, right? Whereas if a hypertrophy workout is really, really uh, eccentrically loaded, heavy loads, okay, well now maybe my need for protein goes up, especially in that window around the workout. Uh, and then with the strength stuff, like I say, man, I, I don't think there's a huge use of, of carbohydrate in a strength-based workout in most instances, right? You're in this usually under 10 seconds as far as total time and work. So it's relatively um, energy, uh, not very demanding on the energy system. So on the energy systems. So there's not a huge need for, to, to do a post-workout shake. There's not a huge need to kind of replenish things right away. What you want to do is you want to blunt the cortisol and allow your nervous system to start recovering quickly, right? So my suggestion in that scenario is, what can you do to get yourself out of high sympathetic drive immediately into parasympathetic? So sit down and meditate, man. Sit down and breathe, right? Be alone with your, with your thoughts for 10 minutes, five minutes. Calm down. Sit down and do a methodical deep exhalation-focused um, breathing pattern. Go outside and go for a walk or just go outside and, and be outside for five minutes and allow your nervous system to kind of settle itself down because the faster you can get out of sympathetic, the faster you can start that recovery cascade, right? Most people, after a workout, now they're going to go jump on their phone. They're going to go grab a coffee. They're going to go to go back to work or jump on their email or whatever. And all those things are just driving more sympathetic uh, tone, right? Driving more cortisol, driving more adrenaline, preventing that immediate recoverability. So kind of that's, you know, the, the very, very high level overview of how we would approach it. Yeah, it's really well said, man. I think uh, a lot of people make the mistake of uh, not understanding fuel utilization. And uh, when pe when a lot of people think of hypertrophy, they don't actually think of it as, you know, the definition of hypertrophy of like, you know, cells growing, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, relative to training, we're, we're obviously talking about muscle and they think more of, I, I need to do higher reps to lose body fat. Right. And they think that they should be in a caloric deficit, um, you know, while they're going through a hypertrophy phase. And then when they're in that strength phase, they're doing more intense work and harder work. So I need to eat more food. But what you're saying is that, that that's actually an in inverse relationship. Sorry, I got to get you to ask that question one more time. So taking it back, so in hypertrophy, right? So yeah. a lot of a lot of people that I've seen, uh, you know, a big mistake that I see is uh, people lowering caloric load during sure. hypertrophy stages um, right. and increasing caloric load during strength phases. And the right. reason sure. being because yeah. hypertrophy in a lot of people's minds equals fat loss. And I want to lose right. fat, gotcha. but they're not thinking of building muscle um, and just wanted to confirm that what you're yeah, saying for sure. so, first, right? Of course. So which one is going to be least calorically demanding, right? If, if you're doing something that's load-based and not volume-based, right? I'm, I'm really focused on how much can I lift. You're really only challenging your nervous system's ability to contract the greatest number of muscle fibers at a time. That's it, right? You're trying to say, hey, nervous system, I need you to contract more of these motor, motor units at one time. That's it, right? And it's probably one to five times. 
So how energetically demanding is that, right? Maybe within per contraction, it's energetically demanding, but the total amount of work is so little, the amount of calories burned in that session is, is slim, right? Like so, so low. So, right, the need for calories in a strength-based session are extremely low. So again, th there's a lot of then ways to kind of optimize strength sessions. So I'll transition into that. If, you know, what are the things that we're dependent on or that we're objectively looking for in a strength session, right? Well, we want to have maximum focus. We want to have maximum aggression and drive. So a lot of that happens in the nervous system and the brain, right? So, okay, how do we optimize the brain state? How do we optimize, you know, dopamine? How do we optimize acetylcholine? How do we opt optimize glutamate? So we can get those drive hormones and, and like ultimately want to, you know, bite someone's head off and, and run through walls. Like that's what we're trying to optimize, right? So uh, pre uh, powerlifting workout or strength workout, doing carbohydrate is going to literally negate that stuff, right? So any amount of carbohydrate before before powerlifting thing, in my my belief, is a bad idea. So, you know, you're not dependent on carbohydrates or fuel in most instances there, or you're, at least you're going to have enough glycogen stored to actually fuel maximum performance. So you're looking at how can I turn up my my nervous system? How can I turn up my dopamine levels in my, in my brain so I can literally feel that aggression? Dopamine glutamate, acetylcholine, right? What can I do to support those things? And that's all supported with amino acids, all right? So that's, you know, this approach. And then we're looking at hypertrophy. Well, there's kind of two schools of thought here, and, and depending who it is, you can kind of go in either way. So for a long time, I took the same approach into hypertrophy, meaning I really wanted to optimize my focus and my neurological drive. So that first couple of exercises, I was really, really like, you know, gritting my teeth and getting after it. But what there's been some research showing lately is that if you actually blunt the cortisol response immediately in the workout, not getting a allowing a massive amount of cortisol, you can actually increase the, the hypertrophy response. I think that may be contingent on who's doing it, right? If you have chronically high cortisol, it probably makes sense to blunt cortisol in your workouts. If you're chronically maybe lower in cortisol, maybe healthy cortisol rhythms, you could probably allow it to come up in the beginning of a workout and then blunt it midway through. So no matter what in a hypertrophy workout, my goal is building muscle. I'm always trying to, one, put a little bit of glycogen in to extend performance, and two, trying to blunt a little bit of the cortisol response because it, it has been shown to, you need some cortisol, obviously, for performance, but it has been shown to, if it gets too high or for too long, to blunt the muscle building response. So just kind of give you a perspective. And then I get looking at how we do that from a brain's perspective. As soon as you put um, carbohydrates in your system, your brain's going to start releasing serotonin. So what does serotonin feel like? What do you feel like after a big carbohydrate meal, right? You feel really chilled out. You're very calm. You kind of feel good, but you're not really motivated. You're not really aggressive. It's meant to calm you down. So that's not a good idea pre-workout. That may be a brilliant idea post-workout, right? And people hear me saying you should take carbs intra-workout. Well, yeah, again, would not calm you down? Maybe, but by that point, you're probably already so amplified with all these other neurotransmitter cocktails that it probably won't have that much of a negative effect. If anything, it may actually be useful because too much dopamine actually drives more um, adrenaline and, and cortisol. So, Ben, where do all these thoughts and principles come from that are inside your head right now, man? Is that academic? <laughs> is that is that experience? Yeah. Is that mentors? Is that is that a combination of all the above, man? All the above. I get very curious. Like I said, I have this insatiable desire to figure shit out, and I sit at home for silly amounts of time and, and read and learn, research and learn and. I don't think I have a tremendous ability to retain information for the amount that I've learned and, and, and read over the years. And I, I think I, I know I've forgotten 10 times what I remember, but uh, still, maybe that's what makes it so voracious. You know, it's like, I, I know I have to work harder and harder and harder. And 
Um, and I just, I love understanding why we do what we do from both a performance perspective and a psychological perspective. And that's kind of the new journey that I'm on, right? Is understanding human dynamics, understanding human um, psychology, human performance, and how we can really get the most out of somebody's mind, right? Like I said, I'm working with some high level performers uh, and I'm like, okay, what can get this block, this cognitive block that you put on yourself out of the way? Because man, I work with so many high level athletes and you look at their talent and you're like, you could be the best in the world, but yet you're, you're barely about to make, you, you know, you're barely going to make it, right? You're barely going to make the low levels of the pros or whatever. And you're just like, fuck, what, how can we bottle this, right? How do we create this, this um, system or something where we can just create, create a, a strategy? And I mean, I'm, we're going to discover it. If it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. There's going to be something in the next few years where we can go hey man this is how you get over this if you're willing to accept the fact that you need to change and you're willing to accept the fact that you can change and not be a victim there's absolutely if there's not already people out there doing it there absolutely is going to be a way that we can say hey this is exactly what it is my belief is that it lies in discipline so in, in the discipline to develop character and confidence you know when i when i implement discipline in my life man i'm like wow i, I didn't think i could actually do it but yet i did and starting to build that little bit of belief about, wow, maybe I can actually do this. And all of a sudden you set a goal for yourself that's just way too big. You'll think you'll never achieve it. And you, you blow it out of the water. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I actually believe in myself. Because that's what it was for me, man. It was these little incremental wins, this, this little discipline that no, dude, nobody thought I could do it, man. Everyone's, oh, you're never going to do it. And you use that as fuel, anything you could find for fuel to start to develop those little wins, right? That little bit of discipline. Yeah, man. It's a... Uh... It's interesting because, you know, we look at we look at all of these various ways of, of uh, you know, obtaining and hopefully retaining information and, and knowledge. Right. And, you know, one thing that that I say a lot is, you know, we can have all the knowledge in the world, but if we're not actually putting that knowledge to practice, we're going to lose it. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, how much did you take from the academic model? How much did you take from just, you know, being at home and fucking spending hours on your own researching and reading, uh, you know, how much of that was just, you know, coaching yourself and kind right. of experiencing those things. I, I guess I'm just trying to get to the bottom of like, yeah. you know, what, what, what do you, what do you, what would you say is like the, the number one, you know, uh, thing or person in which you, you know, learn the most from in this, in this fitness game and kind of where you're at today and, and all of your beliefs and where, where you stand. Sure, man. I'll answer that in kind of two parts. So it was all of the above, right? It, it was the fact that I was pushing my body well beyond what I thought was possible. Most people thought it was possible. And I, I could take something that I learned theoretically and apply it in practice and see, right? Like, hey, if I do this for 30 days, what happens? If I do this for 10 days, what happens? And I could objectify it. And I could say, man, I pushed that as hard as it possibly could nothing happened, right? And I've done it with myself, I've done it with other people, or I could say, hey, I did that and that was amazing, this is what happened, right? So there's a lot of overlap there. I think it's so important for people to realize that this is a big part of my, my new message and I don't think we've talked about it all that much yet, is, is you, you can't separate the body and mind. So the more you train your body, the more you make the mind more receptive to new growth and taking up information. You're literally increasing the size of the hippocampus, right? So to allow you to retain more information. So that I think may have been my greatest blessing is the fact that while I was training and competing, I was also learning this information at the same time. And I do that now. And that's why everybody talks about the benefit of this morning routine, which I think is something magic. 
it's, it, it isn't, it isn't, right? It's just creating a brain that is more plastic, a brain that is more receptive to information to change. That's why your morning routine is the most important time of your day. If you don't exercise, meditate, and breathe in the morning, your brain will not function optimally for the day. You don't set a chance. It's literally an impossibility. No matter how much you try to read, learn, and, and communicate throughout the day, if you didn't do exercise in the morning, your brain literally cannot do what you expect it to do. So that was maybe a blessing for me is this, this um, integration of how much I really needed to train, which is often three times a day during my career, with the overlapping of acquiring information from all these, these mentors that you asked me to mention. So biggest influences on my life, man. Uh, I've got a great friend, Eric Seifert, who now works at a Toronto. You guys should get him on the show, man. He's way smarter than I'll ever be. Super, super bright guy when it comes to exercise. I'll connect you. Tom Purvis. If you don't know who Tom Purvis is, any listeners, for, just go go find him, rts123.com. Uh, Tom is by far the best biomechanist on the planet. Um, gosh, who else have I learned from? Um, and those are the two guys that come to mind when it comes to like exercise and then, you know, moving along from there. So many people within, you know, little have had big have had a big impact on my life in, in many little areas, you know. So um, nobody that's gonna come to mind. I'm gonna jump out and throw it out at you. But there, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. You know, reading a lot of books, dude. Even my podcast, being able to interview some of the brightest researchers and, and scientists and doctors in the world, athletes, um, just putting these pieces together of this, you know, this puzzle of human optimization. Um, yeah, I mean, my podcast has been a blessing for sure, as I'm sure yours is. Yeah, man. So, you know, moving from, you know, the muscle expert to uh, the muscle intelligence, kind of walk me through that, man. Like what's the, because I know that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about sure, sure. Oh, what, well, what's happening right now with you, man. So where did well, that come so, from? Yeah, so to be honest, I started muscle expert in 2013 when I was still kind of in the deep, uh, you know, deep water of competing. And I just, the only thing I cared about at the time was putting muscle on, right? All I wanted to talk about was muscle. And uh, nothing changed when I changed from muscle expert to muscle intelligence, right? Like literally nothing changed. All that changed was the name. But my belief, and I could be completely wrong with this, but my belief was that muscle expert is very, very, um, very much likely to pigeonhole me, right? When people hear the term muscle expert, they think it's just conversation about muscle building and nothing wrong with that. But if you've ever listened to my muscle expert podcast prior to me changing it, it wasn't always just about muscle building, right? It was about this human optimization. It was about cognitive optimization. It was about health optimization. And you're like, okay, well, I can't call it muscle expert anymore because, you know, I think I'm, I'm preventing people from coming and finding the podcast because they hear this name. They're like, what? You know, I had some guests like who I wanted to have on. They're like, well, I don't really think I fit this podcast. And I was like, listen, the name isn't really indicative of what it's about. So shifting over to muscle intelligence, even though it's kind of the same thing, I felt, and I could be wrong, people, my listeners can tell me, I felt that it just opened it up a little bit more to um, everything to do with kind of optimization, right? So like, yes, it's still going to be muscle focused because I still want to be known as the best guy in the world for helping people build muscle. At the same time, the reason I want to be known for building the best guy or being the best guy in the world for helping people build muscles is because I'm also teaching them about everything else that goes into, you know, life optimization, body optimization, brain optimization. So you can just thrive as a whole unit, right? People try to separate the subparts like, hey, man, just work on your brain. or Hey, man, just work on your muscles or just work on your whatever. You can't. It's, it's a whole system, right? And that if we can get that message across to people um, to stop myopically focusing on that one thing, they'll get results much faster. Yeah, man, you have a lot of good stuff to say. And, uh, 
you know, I think uh, the, the, the reason why we wanted to get you on is just because a lot of our beliefs, um, there's a lot of synergies in our beliefs. Um, you know, what we, what we use to, to kind of, you know, spread the gospel, uh, is OPEC CCP. So we, we're, we have an education engine. What are you using? What's your medium to spread this word, man? To be honest right now, it's just a podcast, man. So, uh, I really have no desire to create, uh, platform for trainers, man. I don't know that I want to train trainers, you know, like I think it's probably the best mechanism or the best path for me to spread the message, but, uh, it's just not something I want to do, man. Like, I don't like the idea of sitting down and writing a course and going and teaching a course. Um, I want to teach things at a higher level to a larger number of people. Right. So, which is why I'm kind of getting into this, um, maybe watering down or, or not watering down, but diluting the message to a perspective of like appealing to more people. So it's not just like, Hey, just do this. It's like, Hey man, here's all the things. And, and one of these things is going to be the thing that you're, um, that you're in need of. Right. So it's it ultimately it's clarifying the message to these people. Um, so my kind of path to passing on this information is going to be books. So I have, I have a couple books in the works. Um, one huge one that's probably going to be a 12 to 18 month project, if not longer, it's probably two to three years away, but that to me will be the game changer in the fitness industry. And I've already got it all mapped out, man. I've got the, the syllabus all written out. Uh, I know it's going to take more than just me to do it. Um, but my vision is to get all the best people in the world to collaborate on it because man, I have no selfish desire to be known as the guy on a pedestal as who, you know, saved the fitness industry. I just want to help people. Man. Like, I don't give a shit if my name is remembered or, or like, man, as long as at some point people wake up, you know, and, and to wake up to life and, and the opportunities that exist in front of them. Uh, and it happens hopefully sometime in my lifetime. I'm so happy about that. And, and people can remember me or not, man, at the end of the day, we're all going into the ground and I just want to make, make a shift while I'm here. Yeah, man. Uh, our founder, James Fitzgerald, uh, I think he's actually, he'll be on your podcast uh, yeah. here soon. Yeah. Uh, so extremely interested to, to hear that conversation, but yeah, he's definitely been that guy to, uh, a lot of coaches and, and obviously my, myself, um, I was actually introduced to James, uh, through Paul Aquin. So, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, I guess like all of us, uh, or, or, or a lot of us in the SNC world, um, a huge Paul Aquin proponent and, you know, 08, 09 going through PICP and, you know, spending a lot of time at the Paul Aquin Institute and, and all that stuff, man. So, uh, I think you and James will have a, a great conversation and uh, there'll be a lot of connections that you guys will be able to make. And, you know, when you say that book, James comes in my head right away because he's a, he's a, a high level thinker. Um, and I think you'll you'll appreciate that and, and understand that when when you have him on your your uh, your show. So looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, I can't wait. And if there's somebody for me to learn from, as, as you could probably tell from my my attitude and the way I approach life, like. I don't claim to know everything, man. Far from it, right? And I think that's when you really start to open up to what the what life has to offer you. Is you know anyone who's just bored in life, man, I just can't understand it. Like I, I just I'm so voracious about wanting to learn and understand. And you know, the more you learn, the less you know, right? So the, you know, the more I learn, the more I'm like, fuck, I gotta learn this and this and this and this. And when I come across some people like yourself and James, I'm like, okay, these guys have something to teach me. So I sit there with my mouth closed and my ears open and uh, just like, okay, how can we help each other, right? There may be a piece of the puzzle that maybe I can offer perspective on, and then there's certainly pieces of the puzzle you guys can offer perspective on. And uh, anyone who thinks they know everything, I, I just don't even listen anymore, man. It doesn't offend me. I don't get angry. 
I just say, okay, man, when you're ready to come and have a real conversation, and it may never happen, right? But if it does, I'm here to help. You know, and she's, I'm sure you guys get trolled just like everybody else, right? Like, and it's the internet. There's the, the time of people wanting to troll you for no reason at all. And you're like, okay, hey, man, whatever I could do to help. Like, whenever you're ready, let me know. And, and you find that eventually your your greatest adversary becomes your greatest advocate because they realize it's just, you know, it's just coming from a place, an altruistic place. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know if this is something I made up, but uh, it's something that I always think in my head, right? When, when thinking about, you know, what you just said and, and not knowing everything. And when I come across, you know, professionals or, or quote unquote experts or gurus that do think they know everything, uh, this kind of, this, this quote comes into my head where it's, uh, you know, if your ego outweighs your curiosity, um, you're just not a, a high level learner or someone that I want to, to be around essentially. Right. right. Um, and I know that, you know, what the, what the fuck's a high level learner? I don't know, but it's something right. that, that came to my head, right. Where it's like, you know, um, some of the most high level people in the world are high level learners that their ego does not outweigh their curiosity. So I think that's really important, man. So it's good to hear you say that. Um, man, I had that issue with some, some people in the past It's your ego, you know, you give them a skill set, you empower them with skill set and their ego outgrows their skill set. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. So t- time to move on. Right. Yeah. What are, uh, what are you doing now, man? So you're in Tampa, correct? Right now. So I split my time between Tampa and Toronto. Okay. Um, we've got a 10,000 square foot gym here in Tampa where I've got a number of coaches working for me. Uh, we're just absolutely amazing world-class guys who've been working with me for years now. Um, obviously running the podcast, I'm launching or I've launched muscleintelligence.com, which is, um, really an information based site. I want to try to give as much information as I can around, um, you know, body part training. So muscle building, like how to optimize everything to do for your body. And then everything around my six pillars and not all the pillars have been launched yet. I'm kind of like right in the beginning of launching it. So I'm just dripping it one at a time. So that's where I host the podcast. I host these, um, you know, these free eBooks that I put out and a bunch of workout programs that I've created over the last 10 years. Um, so just helping people train in an effective and, uh, intelligent way. Um, write my book, man, write my books, you know, like one at a time. Um, but there's, there's, I think that's probably going to be the path for the next 20 years is, you know, writing a book a year, a book every couple of years. And, uh, and I love the, the uh, process of voraciously studying something and, and becoming, um, or at least having the ability to offer perspective on it. And then, you know, applying it to the people who fit into this niche that I'm trying to talk to and, and send it off to them. So it's, uh, it's fun, man. I'm enjoying life. I've got a couple, I've got kids and uh, family. So a lot of time there. Keep myself busy. Two kids? Three. 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 What are their ages? Uh, 12, seven, and six. Okay, cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we have, uh, we have two. Uh, they're three and eight. So, uh, okay. yeah, big, man, big split, man, but it's, uh, it's fun. Man, life's greatest joy, man, I'm telling you. Like, life's greatest stress and also life's greatest joy, right? So, yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't change it for the world. They're certainly my greatest blessing. For sure, man. Well, you know, next time I'm in Tampa, definitely want to stop by your spot and kind of. Hey, hey, before we jump out, man, uh, what's uh, if I walked into your gym, what's that experience like? Like, what do you guys do in that 10,000 square foot facility? Um, so for a long time, while I was competing, it was a it was a private facility where you couldn't come in because I was training and I had six coaches who would train other other uh, clients and athletes while I was not training. Um, but since I've retired, I've opened it up to the public. We've got a very small number of, of high-level exclusive memberships. 
Um, and then it got five coaches working for us now who just, it's, it's kind of a transformation focused gym, right? You come in, you do a 12 week transformation. We kind of try to handle everything, all the moving parts. So you know, you're training in nutrition, sometimes even helping with your meal prep, but we coordinate with a local meal prep company. Um, that's really it, man. And, and the way I, I frame it with every single person that walks through the door is, you know, the only question I ask is how can I help? And, uh, and people sense that and I have a legitimate or a sincere desire to help. So, um, you know, I've got my finger on the pulse of every single person in this gym because, you know, if I can, if I can create a space where people are actually getting results, that's a really fun place to come into every day. And when they're not, it's not right. So I wouldn't want to be in a gym where people are unhappy with their results or unhappy with their training or unhappy with their progress or whatever. Like, so I'm just like, Hey, how can I help? And uh, if there's something they need help with and they can articulate it great if not i'll usually be able to pinpoint it anyways by body language or training or, or something that passes in conversation and i'll just be like hey you know from an altruistic place here's the help love it man again dude thanks thanks for having you on it was definitely a pleasure man uh one of the most humble dudes i've i've met uh, especially you know you know where you've been and uh kind of your clout in the industry um uh what, what did i coin that a uh, uh a le- high level learner. Yeah, definitely a high level learner, man. Uh, high level student, man. A high level yeah, student. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, look forward to connecting in the in the future. And yeah, look forward to hearing James on the podcast. Uh, anything you want to leave the listeners with, where to find you, uh, products you have out or anything like that? Sure. Man? Yeah. I mean, uh, muscleintelligence.com is a great place to find everything. Like I said, it's just kind of getting rolling, but it's got the gist of everything there right now. You can find the podcast there. You can find some programs there. I've just launched a keto program, Keto Muscle Building with Danny Vega, who's probably the, certainly the most jacked keto coach I've ever met. Um, got some just great muscle building programs there. And uh, again, podcast is a great place to find me. Twitter, Instagram, I'm there on all those places. Cool. Thanks, brother. We appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it.